Well, we're in a series right now called One Another. And, you know, there are many one another's in the New Testament, and we're just going to focus on a few of those. But I just want to remind you that the church is not really a place. It is not a, an event, even though it, it, it's not wrong to say, hey, I went to church, you know. It's not wrong to call this building the church. But we just need to know and understand that the church really is not a building or an event, but it is a people. It is the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are the church, and it is through the church, His body, that He is moving and working in this world today. We need to realize that when we come together, it's not just a bunch of people showing up at the same place, but we are coming together as the body of Christ, as a holy temple unto the Lord. And our fellowship with one another, it is more than just some people with, you know, similar interests getting together and, you know, watching a football game. And I want to tell you, see, the world has, has that kind of fellowship, but there's something special about the fellowship that we enjoy because it is a spiritual fellowship. It's more than just some people getting together and having fun. Yes, we do that, but it's more than that because there's a spiritual bond between us. We have been washed in the same blood, born of the same spirit. We serve the same Lord, and we are brothers and sisters. We are all part of this spiritual family. That is an awesome thing, and we need to understand this. You see, that this morning we're going to talk about praying for one another. Pray for one another. And you see, this is part of that. This is what makes our relationships with one another a spiritual thing. And even our fellowship with one another, it's a spiritual thing because we pray for one another. We're all in this battle together, and so we constantly should be lifting one another up and praying for one another. James 5.16 says it very simply, pray for one another. Now, if you read the whole verse there, he talks about confess your faults to one another. And you know what? There's times when we need to be willing to share our needs with others. But I want to focus on this, that we're supposed to be praying for one another. And you see it over and over and over in the New Testament. We talked last week about loving one another. This is one of the most powerful ways that you can actually put action to your love. You pray for one another. One pastor said it this way, it's, it's loving other people on your knees. It's, you know, you go before God and you're loving those people when you pray for them. It's one of the most powerful things you could ever do for somebody is pray for them. How did Jesus teach us to pray? Well, you know, in the Lord's Prayer, there's a number of things there, but do you, do you remember the part where he says, give me this day my daily bread? Oh, oh, I caught you. I'm sorry, brother. No, it doesn't say that, does it? Us. Yeah, I'm sorry I tricked you. But, yeah, but... Actually, in America, we're so individualistic that we tend to think this way. Lord, you see my needs. Lord, help me today. Lord, I'm going through this. Lord, this, this thing's come up. Lord, help me. 
But Jesus taught us to pray this way. Give us this day our daily bread. We're all in this together. And we need to have that mentality that it's not just me or me and my four and no more. It's about all of us. And so we need to take on this mentality about our prayer life that we're coming before God, not just on behalf of us or certain couple of people, you know, that we really love, but we're coming before the Lord on behalf of our brothers and sisters. We're praying for the backslidden. We're praying for the lost. We're praying all the time for others. Pray for one another. You know, in Luke chapter 11, Jesus tells this story about a man who uh, had a friend come to his house. This friend was on a, a long journey, and he shows up at his house And that was fine. You know, he had a place for him to stay, but he didn't have any food. I mean, here he has a guest, and, you know, scripturally and historically and culturally in that time, you know, you had to have some food for your guest, and he had no food. So he goes next door down to another neighbor and somebody that had plenty, and he tells him, I need some food for my guest that's come. And Jesus, through this parable or this story, He's showing us that it is by our persistence in prayer that we'll get what we need. In fact, he goes out of this story straight into this statement. Ask and you will receive. So this story is all about asking and receiving. And I want you to think about this. You see, when it comes to other people's needs, there are some things you can do. In this story, the man had a place for his guest to stay. But there's also those things that we can't do. There's needs in people's lives that we just don't have the power. We're we're limited. There's things that only God can do. And Jesus tells us this story that we would be persistent, that we would go to God understanding that there are needs that others have. We can't do anything except we go to God who has a limitless supply. Whatever they need. See, a lot of the time you want to help people. You wish you could help them. You can in prayer. We can always help when we pray. And if we genuinely love people, you know, we desire for them more than our ability to accomplish or to give, so we pray. And as a believer, I'm going to say it again, if you love somebody, you pray for them. And if you don't love somebody, then you pray for them because God can help you to get right and love people. Amen. And sometimes it's hard to love people, but you pray. You pray for them, and it's amazing the work that God, you know, this is the amazing thing about prayer is God God moves and works when we pray, but the first place He moves and works when we pray is in us. And, you know, He'll help you to love others, but you got to pray for them. And as we pray for one another, you know, we just realize this. This is the way it was in the New Testament church. Let me read to you from Acts 2, 42. They continued steadfastly. That means they didn't stop. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread 
and in prayers. I think the only one of those that we really continue in steadfastly is the breaking of bread. We like to eat. But he says they didn't stop praying. They couldn't stop praying. There was too much at stake. I mean, at that particular time, it was such a struggle when these people became believers and they were born again. Many of these people were ostracized from their family and they lost their livelihood. It was, you know, it, it, they just had to pray to make it through. I'm thankful for our country and how blessed we are. I want to tell you, we should not take so much for granted and fail to avail ourselves of the power of prayer that we continue steadfastly in prayer. Because there are things that money won't get done and politics won't get done. But when the church prays, God moves. So we pray. See, we pray not just for people that we know, our brothers and sisters, but we need to be praying for everybody. I mean, we just need to be lifting up our government, our leaders, but especially we do, we pray for one another. Sometimes we look around and, well, we all know people who are apathetic, lukewarm to the things of God, that don't go to church. They may believe in the Lord on some level, but they're not serving God. We all know people that are headed the wrong direction, making foolish mistakes. And, you know, a lot of the time, we don't have any problem with seeing that and finding fault and even criticizing and complaining and maybe even talk about them and gossip about them. But why not pray instead? I mean, talking about people and complaining about how people are doing doesn't change anything, but prayer does. And by the way, that doesn't mean you complain to God about them. There's a difference in complaining and praying. But we go to God, well, <laughs> you ever had, you go pray, pray for somebody, and you're like, you just want to pray, Lord, get them? You know what I'm saying? That's a prayer, isn't it? <laughs> That's not right. No, we need, to, we need to truly pray for people, those that we would criticize and complain about, you know, uh, let me just tell you this. The number, the, the number one failed method to get people to change is to complain about them. It never works. You do it all day long, every day, and it will never change them. The number one way to see people's lives change is to pray for them. God has the power to change lives. You know, when you pray for somebody else, it's as simple as this. The Lord works in their life, and we need to know that prayer really does work. We need to remove the doubt. So if you think your prayers won't be answered, well, they probably won't. So you need to get the doubt out. Jesus says all things are possible to him who believes. 
We need to know, you see, that we're praying according to the will of God. Because listen, prayer is how we get God's will done here in the earth. Prayer is not us attempting to get heaven to do our will. That doesn't work. If you want God to do something he doesn't want to do, you're spitting in the wind. And the worst thing in the world would be if God does something that he didn't want to do. But prayer is how he has chosen to work in this world. We pray for his will to be done and what he wants. And when we pray and believe, God moves and God works. 1 John 5, 14 and 15 says, This is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. See, we can have great confidence when we pray that God will answer our prayers if we are praying according to the will of God. How can you know that you're praying according to the will of God? Listen, there are some things that it might be a little difficult, a little complicated, but I'm telling you there are a whole lot of things that are laid out for us clearly in Scripture. And we know what the will of God is for somebody. See, when we pray in faith according to the will of God, we can fully expect that God is going to hear and God is going to move on behalf of that need that we've lifted up to the Lord. I mean, if somebody is lost, if somebody doesn't know the Lord, the Bible says it is not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It's not His will that any should perish. Is it God's will for them to turn to the Lord? Is it God's will for them to be saved? Yes, it's not His will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So when you're praying for the lost, you need to know, you know what? It's God's will for them to be saved. And so you pray for them. No matter how it looks, no matter how long it takes, you can have confidence because you know that it is God's will for them to be saved. You see somebody that's heading the wrong direction, you know, just making all kinds of stupid mistakes and choices in their life. Sometimes it's kind of like watching a train wreck in slow motion. You see it coming and can't do anything about it. Here they go, here they go. Yes, we can. We pray. I want you to know something. It's not God's will for them to go the wrong direction and destroy their life. That's not the will of God. So we pray for them and we intercede for them that somehow God will turn their heart, that God will get them back on track, headed the right way. And we pray with confidence because we know that's not God's will. Well, why don't we just pray, Lord, save everyone. Amen. All done. Listen, we need to latch on to what we can believe God for and intercede and pray for those that we know that God puts on our heart and, and just intercede and believe that God is going to move and work in those hearts and lives. See, somebody missing church, well, we need to pray for them. It's not His will for them to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. You know, and, and it, that's, a, that's a bad road to start down. We need to pray for them that they get back in the will of God. You know, Paul wrote 
some of his prayers out in his letters. And you know, those prayers are recorded in Scripture to show us how important it is to pray for one another, but also they give us a great example of how to pray for people. Ephesians 3, 14 through 16, he says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man. What a powerful prayer. He's praying that they will be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man. You see, we all go through battles and struggles of all kinds, but it doesn't matter how strong, how smart you are in the things of this world. If you're weak spiritually, you'll buckle under. But if you're strong inside, I want to tell you, you can overcome anything in this world. And so Paul is praying that they'll be strengthened in the inner man with his might. And I just want you to see, you see, this is a good example of how to pray for people. You know somebody that's going through something, you pray that God will strengthen them in the, in the spirit, in that inner man, that they'll have what it takes to believe and to press on and to keep going. We pray for one another. We intercede for them. You know, the scripture says that Satan goes about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And when somebody is under attack, we got to fight for them. You know, if, if we saw someone being physically attacked and there was something that we could do about it, you see, some of you might say, oh, what could I do? Dial 911. Well, that's something. But if there was something we could do about it, we would do it, right? If it was within our power. Why do we allow Satan to attack people and we just say, oh, that's sad. Isn't that just too bad? No, we go to war. We fight for them. We say, you're not going to have them, devil. In the name of Jesus, we break your hold on their life. See, we need to intercede for those people and pray for them. Because we have an adversary, and he is always seeking whom he may devour. So we fight in prayer. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, the Bible says, but mighty in God. We have the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. His Word will put demons to flight. We have the mighty name of Jesus. At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. That name has, a, has power and authority over everything the mighty weapons that we have with. We, use, we have, we use those things in prayer. You know, sometimes we don't know what somebody else is going through, but you kind of see the effects of it. Like you see that they're stressed or you see that maybe they've gotten a bad attitude or you see that they're starting to head the wrong direction and you know, we just need to realize that there's a battle that's going on with those people. And so you, you don't have to know every detail. You don't have to, you know, I've, I've talked about this before, but, you know, Carmen and I, over the years, we've had a, a lot of uh, battles with health issues. And it, it just blew my mind a few times how that when we were in the thick of some of that, that, you know... Somebody would criticize and make a stink about something petty, and, and I just thought, my goodness. 
You know, if they knew what we were going through, they wouldn't do that. Because when you're facing life and death things, petty stuff is just, it's stupid. You don't care. But here's the thing, you see, we don't know. We don't always know what, what's, what's going on with somebody. So we should always be praying for one another. And especially when you see some things, you know, you're like, no, that ain't right. Don't criticize. Pray for them. They're in a battle. And they need your prayers. And this is what the Lord tells us to do. Pray for one another. Somebody's not doing good. We need to pray for them. If they're not doing what we think they ought to be doing, pray for them. Maybe you need to ask them, how can I pray for you? Let them know, hey, I'm praying for you. How would you like me to pray? You just don't know. I do want to say on the flip side of that experience I had, I have had countless times where many of you have told me and told Carmen, you're praying for me and praying for us. And I appreciate that so much. It means so much to me, you know, in regard to our ministry. And, you know, I honestly believe, listen, if you don't like the preaching, well, you need to pray more. Because God can make it better. I can assure you my, my ability won't get it done, but God can, so you need to pray. But I'm telling you that prayer always makes a difference. You know, in the body of Christ, what we really need is less criticism and fault-finding with one another and more prayer. See, trying to change people by complaining... It's like trying to push a rope. Okay, some of you are going to have to try it after service, but it doesn't ever work. You can pull a rope, and I'll tell you, when we pray, that's what gets it done. Battles are won or lost because of prayer or the lack of it. There's always going to be people that are, well, too bound, too sick, too weary, too discouraged, to fight for themselves, and that's when they need it the most. I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago on a Wednesday night, but there's a great example of intercessory prayer in Numbers 14 and 11 when the children of Israel had really committed idolatry, and the Lord says to Moses, How long will these people reject me? How long will they not believe me? With all the signs which I have performed among them, I will strike them with pestilence and disinherit them, and I will make of you a nation greater and mightier than they. I think a lot of people would have said, hey, Lord, that sounds really good. Let's do that. I mean, they've given me a rough time. Let's just go ahead and do that. Get them, God. But in verse 19, Moses prays this, Pardon the iniquity of this people, I pray, according to the greatness of your mercy, just as you have forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. See, we need to pray for mercy for people. You see somebody going the wrong way? Oh, pray for mercy. Pray for mercy. Verse 20, then the Lord said, I have pardoned according to your word. 
You think that prayer doesn't matter? Oh, I'm telling you. You know somebody's not doing right? Pray for them. You just need to pray for them more. Sometimes we get the attitude that some people are just too far gone. It won't do any good to pray. Or, you know, we, we haven't seen any change and we just give up. That's a sin. Oh, we always think of sins as things that we did or, you know, that we shouldn't do, right? But it's a sin to not pray when we should. How do I know that? First Samuel 12, 23, the children of Israel rebelled against the Lord, and Samuel says to them, As for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. See, when somebody's not doing wrong, or when somebody's doing wrong, you're supposed to pray for them. And if you don't pray for them, it is a sin of, of omission. James 4, 17, To him who knows to do good and does not do it, it is sin. This is uncomfortable. Pastor's calling me a sinner this morning. Listen, I got to tell you, I realize as I was praying and preparing this message, I realized there are times I should have been praying more for people. And I, I just want to encourage you. See, we need to get it right, though. We, we need to be willing to hear the Word of God, to know to do something and, re, and to not do it. It's a sin. We're supposed to pray for one another. Turn that TV off. Get off the Internet. Whatever else is eating up your time and find some time. Make time. Set aside time that you are going to pray for others. You know somebody that needs to change? Prayer is the way. One of my favorite examples in Scripture is in Acts chapter 10. There's a man named Cornelius. He's not a Christian. He's not born again. He's never even heard the gospel. But the Bible says that he fears God, that he prays, and he gives alms to the poor. He, you see, he was worshiping God and serving God in the revelation and the knowledge that he had. And God heard his prayers. And this is what happens. An angel of the Lord appears to him and he tells him, your prayers and your giving have come up as a memorial before God. And he says, now send men to Joppa to get Simon Peter. So he does what he's supposed to do. And before they get there, Peter has gone up on the rooftop to pray, and he got hungry. He wanted something to eat, and while it's being pre prepared, he falls into this trance, and he sees heaven open and an object coming down like a, like a large sheet, and on this sheet are all kinds of unclean animals. You know, as a Jew, there were certain animals that they would not eat. They could only eat the clean animals. And on this sheet were all these unclean animals. And the Lord says to him, Peter, rise, kill, and eat. And the Lord, Peter doesn't say, yes, Lord. He says, no, Lord, for I have never 
I have never eaten those things. I, I don't know how or why he said no to the Lord. Maybe he thought the Lord was testing him like the Lord was just seeing what he would do. And so he says, no, Lord. And the Lord shows him this vision three times. And while he is still thinking about the vision and what has just happened, the men come from Cornelius' household to get him. And the Holy Spirit tells him, go with these men. And he goes to Cornelius' house, these people that have never heard the gospel, and he preaches the gospel to them, and they are filled with the Holy Spirit, and then they are baptized. How did this happen? Because God dealt with the prejudices of a man who all his life he had learned certain things and been taught certain religious rules and there's no way that he's going to go to a Gentile's house and preach the gospel to them. But God dealt with him. Now I know that Cornelius, he was not praying to God, Lord, send Peter. He didn't even know about the gospel. He didn't even know about people. Peter, but I want you to see that it was as a result of his prayer that God moved upon Peter and sent him there to bring the gospel. I'm just telling you that God can change hearts. He absolutely can steer people. Now, God will not take away somebody's free will, but you see, sometimes we go way too far with that. We think, well, there's nothing we can do because, you know, God gave him a free will. That doesn't mean there's nothing that God can do. I think about that guy named Jonah. Supposed to be a man of God, but he's running from God. God tells him to go to Nineveh and to preach, to preach repentance to those people, and he don't want to do it because he knows the Lord's just going to show them mercy. And he doesn't want that. So he ends up going the opposite direction, and you know the story. He gets thrown into the ocean, and he gets swallowed up by a great fish, Three days and nights, I don't guess it mattered in the belly of the fish if it was day or night. It was just utter darkness. Horror of horrors. I've seen the little children's books where Jonah's sitting with a candle in a boat in the belly of a fish. That's nice. He's in the gut of a fish horror of horrors and after three days he's crying out to God he's ready he's had a heart change his old will has been brought in line with the will of God he's ready to do what God wants I don't think it'd take me three days do you I, I don't think it'd take me three minutes but yet I will say that some of us, sometimes we're, we're in the belly of the well and we just complain and complain and complain. We need to get with the program. But the main thing I want you to see here is that God changed his heart. He got him to do his will. And when you're praying for somebody, God can absolutely do that. He can set things in motion. He can bring people into their life. He can change the circumstances. Whatever needs to happen, God can move in that person's life and work. So don't think that your prayers are limited by their will. We're praying for God's will. In 
Ephesians chapter 6, Paul tells us about this great spiritual battle that we're in. And then he says this in Ephesians 6, 18 through 20. He says, praying always with all prayer and supplication. You see, this is where the battle is won. Praying with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints and for me that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in change that I may speak it boldly as I ought to speak. You see, this is where the battle is won or lost. And we're all in this battle whether we're aware of it or not. How many of you know that there was a time in your life and when somehow God protected you because of the prayers of others? How many of you, you prayed for somebody else and you know God protected them because you were praying? Yeah, you've been on the other side of that. And you see, most of us, we know that today... We're serving the Lord in part because of the prayers of somebody else. It might have been our mom or dad or a friend. Somebody was praying for us, and we know that that was part of that equation. So, you see, we've got to use this power of prayer in this warfare that we're in. That's what makes the difference. You know, in the book of Acts, it's really tragic. In Acts chapter 12, James is put to death, and it pleased many of the Jews. And so Herod has Peter imprisoned, and he's planning on putting him to death. But the church is aware of what's going on, and so they have this big prayer meeting. They're all praying, and the Lord sends an angel to bring Peter out of prison. Why did this happen and not for James? Because the church got together, this, they were ready this time. See, sometimes we're just kind of, you know, just going along. It's all good. We should have been, see, they should have been praying even before James was put to death. But once James was put to death and then they take Peter, they're like, they're on it this time. And you see, prayer makes the difference. We got to be praying All through Paul's prayers or his letters, he kept saying things like, I'm praying for you. I make mention of you in my prayers. I bow my knees that he would grant you. He's constantly talking about his prayers for them because he knew that's how the battle was really won. And we all go through those times. We need somebody to be standing in the gap for us and praying for us. Sometimes, as you pray for others, that's when your victory is going to come. One of my favorite stories in the Bible to study and to learn from is the book of Job that is full of complexities. And I've heard some people try to reduce it down to a couple of vague statements Um, But as I study the book, I find that over the years I learn a little more and a little more. But there's so many interesting things here in the book of Job. And uh, one of the things that happens here, well, you know, just in case somebody doesn't know, Job lost everything. He lost all of his 
business, his finances. He lost his children, and he lost his health. The only thing he didn't lose was a nagging wife that told him to curse God and die, and three sorry friends who, through the whole ordeal, just accused him and criticized him again and again and again, saying, oh, you messed up, you did this, you brought this on yourself, on and on and on. Sounds just like a lot of religious people today. In fact, I've heard people say the same things about Job as his three friends did. Some people read, read the chapters, the things that what the three friends said, and, the, and, and they think, yeah, that sounds right. Well, let me tell you what the Lord thought about it. Job 42, 7 and 8. And so it was after the Lord had spoken these words to Job that the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My wrath is aroused against you and your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. Now therefore, take yourselves for yourselves seven bulls and seven rams. Go to my servant Job and offer for yourselves a burnt offering, and my servant Job shall pray for you, for I will accept him lest I deal with you according to your folly, because you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. So now, after all of their criticism and accusations against Job, they have to go to him and say, Job, please pray for us. Job 42.10, And the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Here he is. He's lost everything. He's sick as a dog. And he prays for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Maybe your turnaround, maybe your victory, maybe your blessing is waiting for you to pray for somebody else. That's when it happened for Job. And sometimes, you know, these guys had to come to Job and ask for prayer. You know, a lot of time that just isn't going to happen that way, especially if they've been criticizing you. Pray for them anyway. You do the right thing anyway. Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, 44, pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Somebody mistreating you, pray for them. Just pray for them. How much more should we pray for our brothers and sisters? Pray for one another. You want to let somebody know you really care about them? Here are four powerful, unselfish words that speak of you giving your time, your energy, just giving of yourself. I prayed for you. Those words can encourage and strengthen. I'm praying for you. That's better. Oh, some people say, oh, but if you say that, you know, you, you've, you've already got your reward because Jesus said, you know, we're supposed to do it in secret. Jesus is talking about that we should never pray for show. We don't pray to look good. We don't pray to act religious. But he's not saying that we can never tell somebody we prayed for them. In fact, the apostle Paul did it again and again. But Jesus also said, I prayed for you. So you're in good company when you tell somebody, listen, with the right heart, don't do it for recognition but you do it to encourage. You do it to strengthen them and follow the example of Jesus. 
I will caution you, don't say, tell somebody you're going to pray for them and then not do it. As always, Jesus is the best example. I want to go to Luke 22, 31 through 32. And this is the Lord Jesus. Now, Jesus knows that Simon is going to go through, Simon Peter is going to go through a terrible battle where he will deny the Lord three times. And Luke 22, 31 through 32, it says, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon. You notice he wasn't calling him Peter here because he was going to be a reed. Simon. He says, Satan has asked for you. I want you to remember that. Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. Every one of us knows somebody that's going through a great battle. Satan is trying to destroy. But get this. Jesus says, Satan has asked for you. And you know what that makes me think of? The story of Job. Because Satan had to ask permission before he could even touch Job. And here Jesus says to Peter, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. You see, when they sifted the wheat, they threw it up in the air and the wind would blow away the chaff and the, the grain would remain. And Satan is wanting to throw Job up, I mean, throw Peter up in the air and so that it'll, it'll, it'll show that he's not real. It'll show all his faith will just blow away. He'll cave in the midst of the battle. But Jesus says, but I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. You know, he was saying to Peter, you're about to go through it, but you're going to make it. I've prayed for you that your faith fail not. We need to pray with that kind of confidence for, for people. They need to know sometimes that we've prayed for them and they're going to make it. Jesus, he knew exactly what was about to happen with Peter and he knew what he needed. And sometimes we don't know what's going to happen. But here's the thing. The Bible tells us in Romans 8, 26 and 27 that the Holy Spirit knows. And many times if we are be sensitive to the Spirit, the Holy Spirit will lead us and help us to know how we should pray for that person. But it sure won't happen if we don't pray. We got to pray and allow the Holy Spirit to guide us. It makes a difference when we pray. Jesus said, I've prayed for you. So I'm asking you this morning to be like Jesus. This morning, I want to encourage you to pray for others, to pray for the sick, to pray for those with family problems, those with financial needs, pray for those that have lost their jobs, pray for those that are backslidden, that are out of church, pray for those that are in leadership, pray for those that's obvious they're in the midst of a battle, pray for those that are addicted in some way, pray for those that are enemies of Christ. See, we just need to pray more, but especially you pray for one another. And I want to encourage you that when it comes to one another, especially, 
you need to tell them sometimes, I'm praying for you. You know, it's always so important that we are doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving our own selves. And so during this series, it's really important that each week we endeavor to put into practice in some practical way the Word of God. And so I want to challenge you to pray this week, set aside time to pray for others, And I want to challenge you to let at least three people a day know that you prayed for them. Text them, call them, send them a note, use social media, let them know I prayed for you. And sometimes like the Apostle Paul does, and like the Lord Jesus did, tell them what you prayed for them. Now if you don't feel comfortable doing that, just say I prayed for you. But sometimes you know what they're going through and you pray for them. Maybe the Lord even gave you direction in your prayer. You tell them how you prayed for them. But let's do this. Let's don't just brush this off. You know, it's, it's simple. It's something that all of us can do to pray for one another. And I just encourage you to commit to do that this week and make it a habit in your life. Last... I just want to remind you again, and I'm just going to run through these quickly. We need to be willing to ask for prayer. Really, the only reason not to is, well, two things. Either you think the person is a gossip. Not everybody's a gossip. There are some godly people that will pray for you, and it won't ever go anywhere. But the biggest reason why people don't ask for prayer is just pride. Put aside your pride. 1 Thessalonians 5.25, Paul says, pray for us. 2 Thessalonians 3.1, he says, Brothers, pray for us that the message of the Lord may be spread rapidly and honored. 2 Thessalonians 3.2, he says, And pray that we may be delivered from, the, from wicked and evil men, for not everyone has faith. You know, somebody's going through a great battle, a great trial. Did you know even the Lord Jesus? He asked the disciples to pray. He said, could you not tarry with me one hour? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Overcome your flesh this week and pray for one another. I want you to stand with me. I'd like for our prayer partners to come and